Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to May. This is the CodeCast Podcast. My name is Terry Fletcher. I can't believe we're in May already. The kids are counting down the days till they get out of school, and we are counting down the days for some warm weather. I'm still seeing it snow in some parts of the country. As you know, I'm coming from Southern California, so we have had some hot days. And uh, today is actually going to be 81, that the day I am recording. So I've got my light fan going on. It's beautiful outside, warm, um, I should say spring breeze still, but a warm May breeze. How's that? And here we go. So I have had a couple of questions, and some of you have asked me, you know, Terry, how do you come up with weekly topics? I mean, we're on our 238th episode of the CodeCast podcast. And so how do you have different topics every week? Well, I have to tell you, it's it's been a little bit of a challenge as I hit 200, but I really get them from listeners like you. I get a lot of direct messages, a lot of feedback that you love the podcast. And thank you for that, by the way, for everybody who does send me that feedback. It keeps it going. And, but mostly I get my topics from clients who are part of my Coding Corner membership. And we've had a lot join us in this last month. So thank you for that. And for those of you, just a side note, if you wanted to join our membership for unlimited, unlimited coding questions, please go to terryfletcher.net and go to services. And it's the first pull down screen. But what we found on these questions is that a lot of these questions from clients, I need to go research or uh, make sure that I have the appropriate regulations because I want to make sure that you have the white paper. I I call it chapter verse on the regulatory backup, uh, published guidance, etc. Because I can always give a professional opinion. And as you guys know me, I do. And of course, best practices on what's appropriate. But it's it's really about making sure that um, you have that backup because your physicians are going to ask for it. Otherwise, it's just an opinion. So keep that in mind when you are told something if you don't have that backup. Basically, if you don't have published guidance, it's just an opinion. It may be a good opinion, maybe a thoughtful opinion, but it's not something you could take to the mat if you're trying to dispute something or prove something or change your physician's opinion on why they should or should not have something. So my topic today is going to discuss a question I received recently about locums tenens physicians. And I haven't done this topic before, so this is a good topic to kind of bring to light. And what it basically is, is we call it a replacement physician. And we're going to talk about how to code it, how it works, and what the guidelines and rules are around it. Because the question I got, which I thought was interesting, is, hey, Terry, we want to use one of our nurse practitioners as a locum tenens provider. Can we do that? Well, the the flat answer is no, you can't. But let's find out why you can't and make sure that we have accurate information and so you understand what's going on. Also, uh, just so you know, Palmetto Medicare and some of the different Medicare uh, providers, the MAC carriers, they actually put out some new guidance on this updated April 12th. And so you're going to hear some new information, mainly because the locums tenens, um, I don't want to call it acronym, but title for these physicians has now been changed or now referred to as fee-for-service time compensation uh, providers. And so I still call them locums tenens, and you can too, that's still there, locum tenens, but they're actually called fee-for-service time compensation providers. So we have to know that as we are uh, moving forward in the accuracy of how this works. 
So the best way I know to describe how things work is actually to read from the FAQs or Q&A section that answers questions as per what is going to be appropriate when we're providing this service. So here we go. Question, provider left our group. We have billed an as for fee-for-service time compensation, locum tenens, for 60 days. If we use a different substitute physician every 60 days, can we continue to bill fee-for-service time compensation under the Exiting Physicians National Provider NPI? Okay, that's a mouthful. So just so you know, this comes from the CMS website publication 100-04, Chapter 1, Section 30.2.10 and .11. So it says, no, it's not appropriate to bill locums tenants for longer than 60 days, even if a different substitute physician is providing the service. So group practices may bill for a temporary replacement. And keep that word replacement uh, to the side because that's really what's important here when you're talking about locums tenants. It says group practices may bill for a temporary replacement under the exiting physician's NPI for only up to 60 days. And it says there's an exception when a physician or physical therapist, and that's actually the only other provider that's allowed under the locum tenens, it says called to active duty in the armed forces, they may bill for services furnished under a reciprocal billing arrangement for longer than the 60-day uh, limit, providing all other requirements are met. So reciprocal billing is totally different than locums tenens. So now you have to start getting people credentialed. So you have to be very mindful on that. So how do you bill for this? How, do this, how does this uh, arrangement work? So this arrangement, now this is what's key can only exist between physicians, no no non-physician practitioners. So it does not apply to PAs, nurse practitioners, um, CRNAs, anything like that. And in the case of outpatient physical therapy services furnished by physical therapists, only in HIPSA areas, only in those um, rural areas. When a physician or one of those physical therapists needs to take a leave of absence for any reason, Another physician or physical therapist can fill his or her duties for up to 60 days, and they can't be part of your healthcare system. They can't be part of your practice where you're actually using this, this rule. You use the Hicks-Picks modifier Q6, and that's on all line, uh, claim uh, line items under the NPI of the physician or physical therapist that's on leave. Remember, that doctor is not going to be practicing in that 60-day time period. You're replacing that physician. So that's why you have to understand that replacement. After 60 days, the substituting physician or PT must begin submitting claims under their own NPI number. So whoever now uh, you're using has to now say that they're either part of your practice or they're coming in as a substitute physician. And you would have to get them credentialed with a lot of the payers um, because after 60 days, you're not billing under the provider that actually is under that payer from a credentialing situation. Question, when billing for a fee-for-service Time compensation, again, they keep saying previously known locum tenens. Just for simplistic sake, I'm going to say locum tenens just so we don't keep having to go back and forth to that. It says which physician's name should be on the claim form. Enter the regular physician's name, so the one that's absent, the NPI in box 24J of your HICFA 1500 form or electronic equivalent. Okay. Can a physician work one shift a month and be considered locum tenens? No. It appears the physician is regularly scheduled, if it appears that a physician is regularly scheduled for one shift a month 
Physicians may retain substitute physicians to take over their professional practices when they are absent for reasons, again, such as illness, pregnancy, vacation, continuing medical education, or military assignment. It is not appropriate to bill fee-for-service time compensation for longer than 60 days. Okay, what does Medicare consider sufficient documentation to support a locum tenens service rendered? So you have to have that Q6 modifier, and they would need to see documentation, okay, would not be within the progress note, uh, that substantiates a locum tenens arrangement that has occurred. They're looking for a contract if requested, okay? So just know that that has to be there. Question, how do we show that the regular physician has been called to military duty and we need to use a locum tenens for longer than 60 days? It says we would need to see documentation indicating here she was called to military duty. They're going to ask that too because I have... Uh, been involved in practices that did not have it available and they had to send back all the money. Here's a good one, and hopefully you already know the answer based on what I've talked to you about. If a nurse practitioner in our office leaves temporarily due to an illness, can a locum tenens physician take her place while she's gone? No. Services of non-physician practitioners, CRNAs, NPs, PAs may not be billed under the fee-for-service time compensation or reciprocal billing assignment exceptions. These provisions apply only to physicians. Basically, what they're trying to tell you is, look, this is because you had somebody that left your practice. Maybe there was a dispute. Maybe the doctor just found out they had cancer or something that was where they had to leave immediately. And there was a problem and you needed to replace that gap. And so because that gap in care, you didn't want your patients to feel that gap. And so you called maybe the locumstenens.com um, where you can pick up a provider that that's what they do for a living. And they come over and they fill in that under that physician that left and then uh, is coming back. I should that say that's been replaced. Now it says if the physician leaves a practice to be employed by a different practice, would the fee-for-service time compensation still bill under the physician that is left or under their own NPI number. So group practices may bill for a temporary replacement under the exiting NPI for up to 60 days. But let me caution you on that. So I just had a practice where the physician left and then they mainly because they did not like their contract, but the contract didn't have anything that said that they couldn't go somewhere local, which was awful. It should have. And, or in a certain um, geographical radius, they went to another practice within 30 days. They were billing under the exiting physician's NPI number, and then they end up getting the money. So again, it, this is to replace a physician or that physician is coming back. Can we bill fee-for-service for an on-call physician who covers for the weekend? Hopefully you all know that answer. The answer is no. Physicians may retain substitute physicians to take over their professional practices when they're absent again, and they just kept going back to the rules. Illness, pregnancy, vacation, continuing med medical education, military call to duty. Uh, and that's the only time that you can do that. Otherwise, it's basically you're in a call group. So other physicians are going to get credit for that under their own NPI number. And this is also a temporary, basically, authorization for you not to have to get that physician credentialed under your certain PPOs, HMOs, EPOs, etc. So, and please don't use this for a physician you've hired, but you can't get them yet on a certain panel because maybe that panel's closed 
And so you're trying to bill them as a locum tenens. Oh my gosh, that is so wrong. Don't do that. You'll get in so much trouble for that. When a fee-for-service time compensation evaluates a patient, is it considered a new patient? Again, no. The service is billed under the regular physician's NPI number, and if the regular physician or provider in the group of the same specialty has seen the patient in the past three years, it's an established patient. So it's just as if the patient would have been seen under the regular provider. That's why they are allowing you to use that provider's NPI number, and the modifier is what helps to identify that. So let me take it a step further in some scenarios that would probably come up. So if a physician is absent for a limited time period for vacation, again, disability, continuing education, or call to military duty, physicians can uh, sign up or they can um, obtain a locum tenens physician under the regular physician's NPI. And again, the following additions are met. The regular physician has to be unavailable. The locums must be compensated on a per diem or similar fee for time basis. Also typically be aware you might have to pay their transportation. It's not to basically show a profit. It's to fill a gap. And the Medicare beneficiary seeks to receive the services from their regular physician. They're not looking to change. And again, the regular physician cannot bill for the services of a locum tenens physician for a continuous period longer than 60-day period. If after returning to work, so let's say you did what you were supposed to do according to the rules, and then after returning to work for a brief period, the regular physician was absent again, maybe they got sick again, um, can the locum, same locum tenants be rehired? Yes, and a new 60-day period can, be, um, can begin. But if a physician is absent longer than 60 days without returning to work for a time period, the locum tenants, if you're going to continue to use them, they must be credentialed and enrolled as you would do if there was a new physician. Okay, so that's really important to know that uh, situation. Let's say that you have a billing for locum tenens for new growth or seasonal coverage. So in the event that you must hire locum tenens to cover seasonal or peak demand or while filling a vacancy created because you're growing a practice, all payers still require that physician to go through normal credentialing, credentialing and enrollment processes. So to me, that's really not a locum tenens. So there is locumtenens.com. They'll assist you with credentialing if you decide you need coverage and it's actually something a little bit different. And that would be um, using more of a Q5 than a Q6 modifier. But you have to know that there are forms you have to fill out. There's information you have to have available. And, you know, scenario that I just mentioned is really more of a physician new hire, but at least you've got a website that you can do that. So billing for services of locum tenens physician, it can be a little tricky, tricky and timing is very important, but it's well worth the investment just to make sure that you can cover that time period and your reimbursement flow, but you have to be paying them a per diem rate and travel costs. The other thing, make sure you don't get caught up on something that's, that happens a lot of time, a lot of times incorrectly, is I have seen where there's been a physician who died or retired and they tried to use a locum tenens for that and that would be incorrect. So just be aware that you can't um, you can't use that in that kind of situation. Um, you have to make sure that you go back and 
you're re, you're hiring another physician because again, they're not being replaced. And so you, you have to be filling some kind of a, a vacancy in that scenario. And this, this happens a lot where people just use this incorrectly and then you're having to send back money and it becomes just a pain. So just make sure you understand the difference between um, contract versus really using them for a physician who is just taking this period of time and covering uh, for your practice, usually 30 to 60 days. So also make sure that you are clear on the documentation rules as well. Not only having that documentation that reflects why that patient, I'm sorry, why that physician is no longer there and why you had to call in a physician, but also make sure that you keep each service provided by the locum physician along with the locum physician's identification number um, because you need that required documentation. In any season, locum tenants provider, they'll know that. So they know you have to do that. The only exception to the billing procedure information or as far as um, what you have to do um, as far as lo- um, identifying on the claim because you're not really submitting a claim. This actually seemed kind of silly for them to include this in the Medicare claims processing was if a patient is their post-op. They said if the only substitution services a physician performs is in connection with an operation are post-op services furnished during the period covered by the global fee, then these services need not be identified on the claim as substitution. Well, you're not billing anything for the 99024, so obviously. But I just thought that was I just thought that was an odd thing in there because you're not actually submitting anything with that uh, information. But it did bring up something that I, I didn't mention. Make sure that you are aware that this is not just for E&M services. Okay, this is also for procedural services. I know that I do have some providers that didn't even know they could basically uh, stopgap a physician, if you will, under the locum tenants. Then one question that came up on from my client from the provider that left and they wanted to replace with an NP, which now we know is no, but the provider left in January. We're now into May. And when you look at it that way, they wanted to start it as of June. Well, who's been seeing the patients for five months? You would be very hard pressed to prove that now you actually need an emergent or an, an urgency, you have an urgency for a stopgap provider. I, I just don't see it. And I could see that being questioned. You should have spent that time redirecting the patients to um, one of the partners because it's a very large um, organization or um, making sure that you're hiring somebody else and getting them credentialed in the interim. Also, don't use this to, you know, use when you're trying to get somebody credentialed. You are supposed to get them credentialed as if you're new hiring. So this isn't what this is for. So always keep that in mind as well. It's when a doctor leaves. It's not it's not for staffing. So let's say you're short-staffed and you're like, oh, well, we'll just hire a locum tenens physician uh, in their interim and we'll bill it out under, you know, another doctor and get that uh, paid. No, that's only if a doctor leaves and you're replacing that physician within two months, within that 60-day period, or they're coming back. Okay, so that's the difference. It's not that you're trying to uh, fill a need for understaffing in the interim. That's not what that's for. It's filling a need for that particular physician that those patients need to be seen by a doctor and you're billing it out under that doctor. So my coding question today actually has great timing because we got something updated on Friday, uh, April 27th, and some of you may have missed it. Now I posted it to LinkedIn, but I wanted to respond to the question because I was just like, oh my goodness, you mean, you think that they would have told us <laughs> um, as sooner, but yeah, this was actually effective April 29th. So let's take a look at this. Um, and that's when they 
uh, updated it to come forward. So we know we've had some issues with HCCs and risk adjustment under telehealth. So in the last two and a half years under the pandemic, we have not been able to capture our hierarchy codes under telephone-only services and some telehealth services, which makes sense. I mean, come on, it's really hard to show the medical necessity for a chronic condition that you're trying to say is active if you can't see the patient, you can't fully assess the patient under exam, and it's just audio only. Well, guess what? This is the question. In light of the COVID-19 pandemic, can the Department of Health and Human Services clarify which telehealth services are valid for data submissions for the HHS Operated Risk Adjustment Program? Well, this was just published Friday, April 29th, of this year, 2022, and now they are updating it on the FAQ sheet. It says any service provided through telehealth that is reimbursable under applicable state law and otherwise meets applicable risk adjustments, data submission standards may be submitted to issuers, okay, uh, under the EDGE, which is the external data gathering environment servers, for the purposes of the risk adjustment program. Now, you notice how they put in that response. This actually was on the uh, CMS update. They put in that response that meets applicable state laws. So you still have to be under a pandemic or under a public health emergency and telehealth um, waivers under your state as well. But it does say that um, if a code submitted to the EDGE server is descriptive of a face-to-face service furnished by a qualified telehealth professional and is an acceptable source of new diagnoses, it will be included in the risk adjustment filtering Telehealth visits are considered equivalent to -to face-to-face interactions, and they are subject to the same requirements regarding provider type and diagnostic value. So they are talking about actually allowing this information under the HCCs, which they didn't before. So as I'm reading through this, I'm wondering, what about if it is audio only? And it says, there was another question. It says, in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, can HHS clarify which telephone services, service codes are valid for data submissions for HHS risk adjustment? So they're saying, recognizing the continuing increased need for providing telephone and virtual services under the pandemic, HHS gave additional consideration to the treatment of telephone-only services in the HHS Operated Risk Adjustment Program. And for the benefit year for 2022 submissions, they will extend the policy only for the audio only, but only for codes 99441-443-989-66-98968. If they're valid for risk adjustment, again, for the data submissions for 2020, 2021, 2022 years, only if it's applicable to state law. So for example, if let's say Florida waived their um, PHE, it won't be applicable to them. But in California, we're still under it. So you would be able to do that. Uh, But really make sure that you read through this FAQ update and um, look for it and just Google it and just put, you know, risk adjustment um, FAQ update. So it's it's on the 20, April 29th update. But I just thought this was interesting. They didn't give it to us before. And I've gotten a couple questions on this. And they're looking, they said, we intend to reconsider these codes inclusion for inclusions for future benefit years as appropriate. But I could almost guarantee you the the audio only won't go through unless it's for mental health, since that's the only thing that's on permanent telehealth. But we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, I could I could be wrong, depending on how far they extend it, but it is going to be looked at 
I'm sure under the um, Appropriations Act that they allowed the extension for 151 days past the pandemic, which we know could end in July. So here we are. I mean, I just thought that was just kind of an interesting update based on some of the questions I'm getting. Our coding question is brought to you today by Burt's Bees Ultra Conditioning Moisturizing Lip Balm, rich in butters and oils that hydrate and condition dry lips, 100% natural origin with responsibility sourced beeswax. Burt's Bees. Okay, I use that. So my personal tidbit this week, I'm actually going to give you a recipe. So somebody said, Terry, what is your go-to? I'm having a hard time for just a side dish. Somebody wants me to bring to a party. I need to know if it, if it can keep a long time. And also kids need to like it. Okay. Well, everybody knows getting kids to eat. Everybody knows, I should say, getting kids to eat um, any kind of vegetable is always a, a push-pull unless it's corn. And corn, it's a starch. Okay. To me, corn is like... Um, bread that's been made into a vegetable, <laughs> but kids love it. I like it sometimes, but let's say we wanted to eat some broccoli. It is really hard if you make those broccoli pieces the size of a tree. So here's what I do. I have an orzo. Um, basically, I call it an orzo broccoli salad. And not everybody likes salad, but it can be served either warm or cold. And it's really fast. Just get a a nine to 12 ounce bag of broccoli florets, um, the frozen kind, and they're already chopped up small. I don't like anything that's not bite-sized pieces because I won't eat it either. And then you can include um, some onion if you want, but get a half of cup to a third quarter cup of orzo pasta. That stuff looks like rice, but it's actually pasta and that's why the kids love it. Black pepper, salt, olive oil, butter, and just some grated Parmesan cheese. Now, when I say grated Parmesan cheese, people do not use the can that you pour on your spaghetti. Actually, go into where the deli aisle is, where you find that, and just get a little thing of grated Parmesan cheese. You won't be sorry. You'll actually like it so much better, and it lasts probably about three to four weeks in your refrigerator. But you need about a third a cup of that. And all you do is cook the um, broccoli to what it says on the package, but two minutes earlier, and then um, cook your orzo. And if you want this as a hot side dish, you just put it all together. Broccoli with your orzo pasta. Again, it looks like rice. Black pepper, about a quarter teaspoon, half a teaspoon salt, about a half a tablespoon of olive oil, um, some melted butter, maybe you know one to two tablespoons, depending on how, how much you want. And then just a quarter of a cup of Parmesan cheese grated and all over it. Mix it together and it's really good. You can also squeeze some lemon on it if you want. The kids love it. And my rule for my kids, when, it, when my daughter, when, we, when she was little, you have to try it. And we called them pudding bites because she loved chocolate pudding. I'm like, Summer, if you try two pudding bites of it then and you don't like it, then you don't have to eat it. And sure enough, I would say eight times out of 10, she'd take one and she'd be like, I don't know, I go, you have to take one more. That's our rule. And she would take one more and she'd be like, can I have some more? I'm like, yes, you can have some more. So anyway, that's one way. If you want it cold, just cool down the broccoli after you cool it, cool down the orzo after you cool it, put it together. And then um, just at the very, uh, just leave off the butter um, until um, the very end and then just put a little bit on there and then grated Parmesan cheese and then put it in an airtight container in the fridge and it lasts for up to a week. Anyway, just try it. Tell me what you think. And it's really good. And I am not a broccoli fan. So if I like it, then you'll like it. And it's really easy to make. Takes 15 minutes and I'm all about easy. (laughs) So if anybody knows me, I don't like hassle. I don't like anything that you, it's too big to put in your mouth. I like everything bite-sized pieces and I just like things that are simple to make. 
So um, anyway, somebody said, can you put some of your recipes on your your blog or on your website? I might do that in coming up only because I, I get a lot of requests for things that I put out there. So uh, in my later days here as I'm, I'm, you know, kind of um, through, I don't want to say at the end of my career, whatever, because I don't plan on retiring for at least 10 years. But if if I'm towards that, I'm, I'm starting to really get into certain things that I like to cook, I like to try and, and it, it's kind of fun, especially since my husband's retired now, even though he plays a lot of golf, um, just trying things that are that are new. So you know what, just try it. It's 15 minutes, what can it do? All right, everyone, have a great week and a great day. And I'll talk to you next week on the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer, Joe Kuzma. Music producer, Assassin Music.